Uh, Matthew 10, 34 through 42. Do not think that I am come to bring peace on earth, the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's enemies will be the members of his household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it, and he who has lost his life for my sake will find it. He who receives you receives me, and he who receives me receives him who sent me. He who receives a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he who receives a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whoever in the name of a disciple gives to one of these little ones even a cup of cold water to drink, truly I say to you, he shall not lose his reward. Um, Beginning in probably the, the 1980s, continuing into the 1990s, but American church leaders like denominational leaders started to notice that church attendance was declining in America at a fairly rapid, and to them alarming, pace, more or less across all denominations, though some were hit harder than others. And, and as people realized this, there were, there were a number of different responses. And some could be categorized more in like sort of fear and scare tactics. Like if you don't, if you don't come to church and stay, well, then you might be in trouble, you know, eternally. If you don't come receive what we give out somehow here, well, you know, you're you're taking a real risk with your salvation. Then the opposite response to people not coming to church anymore or less was to give, sort of give Jesus a makeover, sort of give the gospel a makeover and the church a makeover. And and some of the efforts at changing churches were probably warranted and um, were good. But there's another sort, if you look closely in, from the 1980s and 90s and through the first almost 20 years now of this century, there's been an effort to sort of make Jesus cool or to make church a place that's appealing um, like for reasons other than the real, the real gospel. There are messages coming out of a lot of churches today that, that sound like this. You can come here and believe us, Jesus doesn't want you to change anything. Or, you know, you, you just, you believe what, you know, what you need to believe. You find your truth Or come here to church because we want to show you how Jesus really wants to give you what you have always wanted. And those have become much more effective ways to attract people to church. 
The problem is they're not, they're at odds with what Jesus actually taught. But it's understandable that we want a message like that that's not divisive. We, we want an, a palatable Jesus. We want an unoffensive Jesus. What we want is an adjustable Jesus. We want adjustable Jesus. We want Jesus who you can do whatever you want, believe whatever you want, and, we'll, and Jesus will adjust to you. The problem is, with that message, is that's not Jesus. It's not the Jesus we find in the Gospels. Now, don't get me wrong. I find Jesus very cool. I think Jesus is cool. I think Jesus is awesome. And I don't think I'm wrong in telling you how awesome and cool Jesus really is. But here's where I would go wrong. Very wrong. If I started to find out what you already thought was cool before you started coming here and started tailoring my message about Jesus to match, to adjust to what you find cool and acceptable, I'd be making a grave error. We'd wind up with millions of different Jesuses, adjust, each adjusted to different churches and what different people in different places think is cool. And there's only one Jesus. The great thing is his message will fit and will work in any culture ever. But the one and only Jesus told us that in general, the world won't find him terribly cool. We're in Matthew chapter 10. This is the fourth and final week of a little talk Jesus gave, which is sometimes called the missionary discourse, because in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus was sending his disciples out, his original 12 disciples. He was sending them out to do missionary work, to do ministry work without him for the first time. Their job, that time, that first trip, Jesus said, you go only through Israel and tell Jews that I'm the Messiah, I'm the King, Jesus said. And then as soon as Jesus told them that was their marching orders, he starts warning them, when you take the message of me out into the world, people aren't always going to like the message and they aren't going to like you when you bring the message. He said, I'm, I'm, I'm sending you out like lambs surrounded by wolves. He said, some of you will be arrested. You might be beaten or flogged. You'll be rejected. Then last week, with a bit of encouragement, he said, now in the end, there's going to be a judgment, and God's going to be fair, and anybody that was mean to you because of what you did for me, that's going to come out like an open court in front of God and everybody, and you'll be rewarded for what you did for me, and they will be judged for what they did against you. So that's a little bit of encouragement for for some. That's a lot of encouragement, actually, what makes this worth it. But then today... Jesus is going to go back to, like, don't get the wrong idea. The world's not going to think you are cool. And the gospel is cool because the world didn't think Jesus was cool. The apostle John wrote that Jesus came into the world as light, but the world loved darkness. Today in the last nine verses of Matthew chapter 10, 
Jesus explains to his disciples and to us that he didn't come to earth to make people like him. Jesus came to earth, though, to give people a choice and to give people a chance. As we'll see this morning, one of the offensive things about the gospel is that it says Jesus is the only way. But if that's true, Jesus is the only way. (laughs) And it's not loving to proclaim something different than that if he really is the only way. Jesus came to give people who should have no chance at being reconciled to the Father. He gave them a chance. He gives us a chance. And Jesus said, when we accept Him as Savior and put the message of the real gospel on our mouths, Because people didn't think he was cool. People may not think we are cool. And this is the last of those four messages where Jesus is trying to prepare disciples for that eventuality. And it starts in verse 34 with a verse that can seem really confusing and just very different from what we think about Jesus. Jesus says this to his disciples. This is his words. He says, do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. Don't you read that and go, wait, what? I've not come to bring peace. Jesus said, I've come to bring a sword. Now, now again, we like adjustable Jesus. We like, a generation ago, we liked hippie Jesus, right? All peace and love. And today we like it just a little bit different version. The new version is hipster Jesus. And hipster Jesus is you do your thing, I'll do mine. You don't bother me, I don't bother you. And we want Jesus to be like that. Accepting of everything and everyone. But if this verse is what, if Jesus said this verse, that's, that's just not him. And he did. Now what's this mean though? That Jesus says, I've come to bring a sword. I haven't come to bring peace. I mean, wasn't, wasn't, am I wrong? Is Jesus the Prince of Peace? Is that a name for Jesus? It is. Isaiah told us he's the Prince of Peace. And when Jesus was born, weren't there angels who like ripped open the sky and, and they talked to some shepherds and said, behold, I bring you a great message, great joy about peace. God giving a chance for people to have peace with God. Isn't that about Jesus too? Well, how can that be true and this be true? Well, first I want to, this, this is obviously a metaphor. Jesus didn't come to bring a literal sword, right? He didn't come to make a presentation like, here's your sword. This is what I've come to do. Now, he's, he's speaking metaphorically. The sword is a symbol for, for conflict and for division. Here's the thing about a sword. You're either on one side or the other of a sword. It's really hard to balance, like on the blade of a sword. You're on one side or the other. That's a sword. Um, Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And he did come to make an offer of peace between people and God but everybody doesn't get that peace. 
The Bible makes really clear. Here's one place. Romans 5.1, Paul said this. Therefore, since we have been declared righteous by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Very clearly, there's just one verse uh, where the Bible teaches peace comes to only those people who somehow have gone through Lord Jesus Christ. How do you get through our Lord Jesus Christ? By faith. Why do we get peace with God if we have faith in Christ Jesus our Lord? Because that's how we get declared righteous. The only people who have peace with God are those who have come to believe that Jesus Christ is who he said he was. Messiah, Son of God, Savior, Sacrifice. That's who gets peace with God. And then one day, Jesus is going to return. He's going to set up a literal kingdom. And then he's going to be the prince of peace. He's going to defeat his enemies. The second time he comes, he's going to come with a different kind of sword. He's going to defeat militarily. Although it won't be much of a fight. His enemies establish a reign that will be characterized by peace on earth. So he is the prince of peace, just not yet. He wanted his disciples to know that in his first visit to earth, he brought division, divisiveness, a sword. Just like a sword divides, the gospel divides. You can't be gospel neutral. You can't walk the tightrope of the gospel. You're on one side or the other. Now, there's a lot of people that seem like they're sort of Jesus neutral. Let me give you an example, a very common example. I'm spiritual, but I'm not really religious. And I know that Jesus was a good guy and a good teacher, and he's a good example. And he taught us how to love our fellow men. And I accept that about Jesus. The only people I can't really stomach are these religious fanatics that tell us he's the only way. That you have to believe what they believe, or you're not really in God's club. Those are the people I can't stand. You know anybody like that? Maybe you are somebody like that. And that's logical. I get it. But according to Jesus, I want you to know you're not on his side of the sword. Because really clearly today, Jesus is saying, the gospel divides It's not an all-inclusive movement. Anybody's invited. As I read a minute ago, and I'll preach through in a couple of weeks, he said, come to me, all of you, anybody. But the gospel says, somebody who doesn't understand that, that, that Jesus' faith in him and what he did on the cross is the only hope I have for salvation is on the wrong side of the dividing sword destined for, a, for an eternity separated from God. And people try to toe that line and be Jesus neutral until they understand what the real gospel says. And then things change. Once the message becomes clear, we hear things like this. Wait a minute. So if what you're saying is correct... Right now, you think I'm going to hell. Wait a second. If what you are saying is true, then, then like my friends, my family, 
the ones who have already died maybe aren't in heaven. So one thing I find at, at funerals, one thing that makes it very hard for someone to believe the gospel is when they actually understand it. And they come to understand, hold on, if that's true, like my granddad's not in heaven. Like that's tough. Doesn't mean it's not true, but it's tough. Um, one of my seminary professors used to say, Professor Williamson, used to say, you can talk religion to people. Like you can point Islam or Buddhism or Confucianism or Judaism at people and really not have too much of a conflict. But you point the real gospel at somebody and things are going to change. Because it's divisive and somewhere in their soul they know that gun's loaded. Um, Ike, my oldest son, found this out this year. And sorry, Ike, when I wrote this, you were still in college and I forgot you were going to be here. So it's try, just sit there and this will all be over in a minute. I'm sorry to embarrass you. But Ike was on a bus with the basketball team. Some of the, some of the, the kids on the team knew, know Ike is a Christian. There are Muslims on the team. And, and uh, people who would like check the box, I'm a Christian, though I don't know if they, could, they understand what that really means or if they really are. Or, um, and somehow that the topic came up, you know, what does, what does Christianity teach? And so Ike told them, and apparently it was clear. Because before long, some of his good friends, there was some finger pointing and some poking and saying things like, you think there's people on this bus going to hell because they don't believe what you believe. How can you be so arrogant as to believe they have to believe what you believe? And the answer is, you don't have to believe what I believe. But if this is true and there's really only one way, you better believe it. You don't have to believe it because I believe it. Absolutely not. Jesus said, that's what the gospel does. It, it divides. It's sharp. And we don't initiate hostility with people around us. If we're doing that, we're doing it wrong. But when Jesus wants people who are going on this mission for him to know, if you do it correctly, there's going to be some of this animosity. And that division, Jesus says next, may happen in even our closest relationships. In this very family-centric culture where basically nobody moved further than a good day's walk away from home in their entire life, Okay, uh, he uses family as an example here. This really doesn't even need any explanation. I just want to read it to you again. Jesus said, he just said, I came to bring that dividing sword. And he said, for I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will become the members of his household. Jesus said, when you accept the gospel, there's going to be division that may happen in your very closest relationships. It's not just family. It might be friends. It might be coworkers. This has happened with spouses where one spouse comes to believe. I mentioned a few weeks ago um, Dennis's friend from Kazakhstan, uh, Anarbek. Right? He, he was from a Muslim family, came to believe in Jesus. His whole family and the whole village beat him up and kicked him out. 
That happens. And now verses 37, 8, and 9 answer this, in question, this question. When the gospel threatens to divide our closest relationships, then what? When, when that sword, when I, when I hear the gospel, I understand it, and I think, man, I think I need to be on the other side of the sword. But that's a different side of the sword than my family's on. What then? It becomes really, really difficult to accept the gospel when people I love the most haven't accepted the gospel. Some of us know this pain. We have loved ones who don't believe in Jesus, don't love Jesus, and don't follow Jesus. Isn't that hard? And they kind of get mad at us if we, if we, when we do or if we bring it up. Or, and how can you be, oh, you think you're better than we are. And you think, right? Some of you have felt this. It's one of the main things that keeps people from accepting the gospel. Right? Again, at a funeral, I can make the gospel as clear as I can make it. When someone sitting there thinking, I, I understand what you're saying, but if what you're saying is true, the person in the box isn't where any place I want to think about. And if they're not there, I don't want to go either. That's what Jesus is talking about in these two verses. He says it this way, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy. I mean, I I need to define the word worthy because you can get the wrong idea about what Jesus is saying if you don't understand the word worthy. That's probably the key word in this passage. What does it mean to be worthy of Jesus? Here's what it can't mean. Jesus cannot be saying, you're not good enough for me. Because clear back in the Sermon on the Mount, the first words Jesus ever preached in the book of Matthew, he basically said, nobody is going to believe in me except me until they understand they're not good enough. In fact, the other one of the main things that will keep people from following Jesus is thinking they don't need him. I'm good enough. Worthy is not about being good enough. Um, A guy named John Nolan, he he wrote a really good commentary in the book of Matthew, a New International Greek Testament commentary. He defines this concept from the Greek this way. Being worthy, in this case of Jesus, is being ready to understand and accept. Being worthy is is understanding the gospel and being ready to respond in the right way. That's what you just described is a fit for me. That's what I need. I will do what it takes. That's a person who's worthy of Jesus. Being ready to accept, being ready to receive. So not being worthy is just saying, no, thank you. I'm not ready. That doesn't fit for me. That doesn't work for me. No, thank you. Take your divisive message elsewhere, please. That's not being worthy. With that in mind, here's what Jesus is saying in verse 37. When the gospel reaches somebody, they understand the information, but then they look ahead at what strife and what conflict might happen if they get on the other side of the sword, so to speak. 
If I accept Jesus and nobody else in my family, nobody else in my circle, nobody else in my workplace does, what will that mean? Well, it won't be pretty. And Jesus says, when that person, does, when they, when that person picks them over me, they're not ready. It's not a fit. doesn't mean they may not ever be. Jesus is talking about that person who says, I could never do this to my dad. I could never do this to my mom. I could never do this to the memory of my grandparents. I could never do this to my spouse. I could never do this to my parents. I could never become a Christian because then I'll be the one who makes them feel like I'm too good or I'm whatever, which isn't the gospel, but people do feel that. And Jesus is telling his disciples, before you go out, this is what you're going to run into. And he's been right for 2,000 years. Thousands and thousands of people continue to choose peace in their close relationships over Jesus. Jesus is talking about the same concept in verse 38. Don't take this verse out of its context. He says, whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Again, another metaphor. Uh, The Romans obviously crucified the worst criminals to put them to death, right? You know, Jesus was crucified, so we have an idea of what that is. They had this nasty little habit of taking the horizontal beam and making the condemned prisoner carry that to the place where he was executed. That's carrying your cross. Jesus is using a metaphor. And, and to do that, to go through like the streets of Jerusalem, carrying that. It was, and most of the time they weren't clothed anymore. And they were beat up. It was shame. It was hatred. It was piling on. And here Jesus said, if whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me, they're not ready. They're not worthy of me. They haven't really accepted. Here's what he's saying. That idea where I feel like, man, if I get on the other side of that sword with Jesus, and I know this person's going to hate me and my parents aren't going to like me. And, and it's like, that's the cross that we have to bear. The division, the derision, the rejection, the hatred. Understand what you're getting into, Jesus said. And if the person who says, no thanks, I'm not carrying that. Jesus said, they're, they're on the wrong side of the sword. They're trying to tiptoe the blade of the sword where they understand the information but refuse to act on it because they won't carry the consequences. Verse 39, Jesus, still talking about the same subject, puts it a different way. This is the most repeated uh, little phrasal saying in the Gospels. You can find these words or things very similar to it throughout the Gospels. And Jesus makes different points, uh, the different ways he uses this in different contexts. Here he says, whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life because of me will find it. In this context, here's what Jesus is saying. Remember, he's sending out his team to go tell people about him, and he knows they're going to be rejected. And he says, guys, here's the way this is going to work. When you go out and you make the message of me clear, that person who understands what you're saying, it's like they've found life. 
It's right there. They just have to decide what they are going to do with Jesus. But if they do what Jesus just described, they're not going to bear the cross that would, that would come with accepting that. They're not going to... Um, they're going to choose their, their family and their friends over me. They've found life, but it's like they've, it's like they've lost it. I, I'm not willing to bear that. Jesus says they've lost the, the, the only chance they had. Now, they may get another chance. They may not. But it was right there. And they lost it. And then he says, but whoever loses his life because of me, We'll find it. This is the person who says, all right, I've heard. I understand what you're saying. Who boy, this may, this may have caused some real problems in my life. But I think Jesus is that pearl of great price. I think I should be willing to sell everything else I have and accept him. If what he's saying is true and I believe it is true, then I'm going to get on the other side of the sword with Jesus, even though it might cost me my closest relationships, my job, my freedom for some of these people, my physical safety. I'm willing to do it, even if it costs me my whole life. Jesus said, that's the person who's found life. That's the person who has found life. And I want to show you how this is an exclusive truth claim. If if you've really just thought of Jesus as a good example and a good moral teacher, and like he taught us to love our fellow men and stuff like that, but you know that another way is just as good as this way, read what's on the screen right here. If Jesus is just a good moral teacher, this is insanity. Jesus said, whoever loses his entire life because of me is the one who gets eternal life. Because of me. Now you think about this. You put, this, you put these words in anyone else's mouth. If I told you any other teacher said, you have got to be willing to give away your entire life and only follow me, you would say that's a crazy cult leader. And you'd be right. Because if this isn't the savior of the world, he's David Koresh in older sandals. Think about it. He just said, if you want real life, you've got to be willing to lose everything just for me. What kind of good moral teacher says something like that? He's either the son of God or he's nuts. And there's really no in between. Now, Because I believe Jesus has sent me out into the world to proclaim the gospel so people understand it. I've been aiming this message at you for you to consider what side of the sword you are on. But I need to kind of return this to its real context, which was a pep talk toward people who are going out with this message. Because in the last three verses, we get some good news. He spent a whole chapter telling us Be careful out there. (laughs) You're going to be lambs among wolves. You better be wise as a serpent and gentle as a dove if you're going to survive out there. They're going to arrest you and they're going to beat you and it might cause problems in your family and oh man, this is going to be terrible. It's going to be worth it because of the judgment. But it's going to be terrible. And in the last three verses, he says, but wait. There's some good news in delivering the good news. Everybody's not going to reject you. Everybody's not going to hate you. 
Some will consider what you have said and the Spirit of God will do a work on their hearts and they'll become a new person right in front of your eyes. The good news goes like this. Verse 40, Jesus said, whoever receives you receives me and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Here's what Jesus is saying. When you take the gospel out to other people and they accept you and the gospel, it's just like they've accepted me. And when they accept me, it's just like they've accepted the Father. That's the only way there is. And that will happen. Praise God. Verse 41 is a little confusing. (laughs) I'll try to go through it quickly, but he says, Whoever receives a prophet in the name of a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Whoever receives a righteous person in the name of the righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And then really the last verse says, and whoever does something uh, for a disciple in the name of a disciple, three different people. This isn't three offers and three different rewards or anything like that. Here's what Jesus is saying. Ultimately, Jesus is the only righteous person who ever walked the earth. By faith, we get his righteousness given to us on our account. It's a gift. Jesus is the true prophet. He's more than a prophet, but he was a prophet, the prophet. When he puts his words in our mouth and sends us out, it's like we become deputized prophets. And here's what Jesus is saying in verse 41. We're not really prophets, but he's making an example. And here's what he's saying. That person who receives in verse 40, they step into the same reward you have that I earned. I'm the righteous man. I'm the prophet. When you believed, you entered into my reward. When somebody else believes, they don't get to go on, they don't have to go on the JV team for a while. They enter into the same reward, eternal life that you have. Right? You don't have to you don't have to wait and be here for a while before we start telling you the real information. Right? If you go to a church like that, get out. Okay? Uh as soon as someone accepts, they bear Jesus' righteousness. And this will happen. That's the good news of bearing the good news. In verse 42, he says, Whoever gives only a cup of cold water to one of these little ones, like his, his disciples or his little ones. It's a pet name. So these 12 guys are going out. He says, Anybody who just gives a cup of water to one of these guys while they're doing work in my name, I tell you the truth. He will never lose his reward. You want some other good news? Um, Even simple things you do for the gospel are not simple things. Is giving a cup of water to someone a huge deal or a small deal? Jesus said, if you do something simple for someone who's actively involved in sharing the gospel, you will never lose the reward you get for doing that. This is why we support people who take the gospel places. This is why we support missionaries. This is, this is why you support a pastor. Thank you very much. Uh, this is why you know, we find ministries that are, that are ministering to people and get behind them. Even in what we think are simple ways, if, you've, if you're always waiting to you can do something impressive, you're doing it wrong. Start handing out cold water, man. Find somebody who's doing the work of the gospel. Partner with them. Support them. Go with them. You'll never lose your reward. All right, what do we, what do we learn from all this this morning? 
as we land the plane here. First, Jesus wanted his disciples to know before they left. They left right after this, apparently. Jesus said, the message, when you take my message, it's divisive. He wanted them to know, I'm the one who's divisive. I didn't come to make everyone love me. If you go out there and you don't make everyone love me, it doesn't mean you're doing it wrong. In fact, if your goal is to go out there and make everyone like Jesus and like the message you send, you're doing it wrong. It's going to be divisive. Our goal is to be accurate. To, to present the gospel in an understandable way. And it will be divisive in certain situations. He wanted us to know people won't just reject the gospel, they will reject the messenger too. But we have to decide, every single person, when they understand the gospel, has to understand, or it has to decide, which side of the sword do I want to be on? I mean, do I really think I'm, I'm, I'm tight roping uh, the edge of that sword? Which side do I want to be on? And who do I love the most? Whom will I love the most? How many of you have ever said something like this? Oh, man, the most family is the most important thing. Guess what? According to Jesus, no, it's not. And I love family. I love my unbelieving family. I love my non-Christian family. But the most important thing is glorifying God. That's the most important thing. The most important thing is glorifying God with my life. It's why I was created. And I had to decide at some point, who will I love the most? The people I want to accept me or the God I hope to accept me? Who will I honor the most? The people I want to accept me or the God who sent me to them? Which side of the sword will I be on? And then I have to understand that whatever rejection comes my way, that's the cross I have to bear. You want to know (laughs) maybe the most overused and poorly used uh, sayings from the New Testament. That's the cross I had to bear. You listen, I hear that all the time. It's never used correctly. Seldom used correctly because I'm going to use it. So anyway, here's what it is. If I decide I'm going to be on Jesus' side of the dividing sword and people don't like me because of it or think I'm arrogant because of it or think of whatever, I got to be willing to carry that instead of presenting an adjustable Jesus that will make that person not reject me. Make that, oh, no, no, you can believe whatever you want, and this is my truth, and you find your truth. Every thought system is an exclusive truth claim. All of them. Even if your thought system says there's no really one way, there's lots of different ways, that's an exclusive truth claim. You're saying you are right and everyone else is wrong, just like a Christian is. If this is true, and I 
I believe that it is. I know that it is. There is only one chance. It comes from the gospel. It comes from Jesus who died uh, for the sins uh, of mankind. He served our death penalty so that our condemnation is spent. And then finally, we just remember, don't let our fear of rejection and that cross we have to bear keep us from remembering the good news. Some people will accept him. Happens all the time. And guess what? There's a direct correlation between the number of people we tell and the number of people who actually accept. If we tell few people, few people accept. If we tell many people, more people will accept. Right? That makes sense. Which side of the sword will you be on? Maybe this morning you'd never even understood the words or what it meant. Maybe this morning you thought, hey, wait a minute, I I understand what he's saying. He's saying that if I don't place my faith in in what what Jesus did at the cross, he did for me. If I don't believe that, then, then, then I'm on the wrong side of the sword Jesus brought. I want to get on the right side. If that's you this morning, in a minute we'll pray. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to come forward. You don't have to raise your hand. All you have to do is decide, come to a, a point of decision like, I, I trust Jesus for my salvation. What he did will guarantee my eternity because I can't. I'm going to trust in what he did, not what I do. That's the gospel. And if you're somebody that's already on Jesus' side of the sword, I invite you to... Um, to spend some time examining who it is you love the most, the most, and where, where we change the message about my life, about who I follow. And then remember, there's someone out there who needs to know and just may accept Why don't you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel that is a chance. It's the only chance we have. It's the chance, but at least you gave us a chance. And sometimes we get caught up wondering why you haven't given more chances and what about... But this is is what you did. If this is what you did, and I pray that we would decide to get on your side of the dividing line. And for someone here who's never done that, Lord, I just pray you would accept them as they decide to trust you for salvation. If that's you this morning, I just ask you to pray to God in the quietness of your own heart. Lord God, I believe that what you did at the cross, you did for me. I trust in what you did for my eternity, not what I do. And God, as we, as we leave here, as we go back into our lives, I just pray that you would help us to, uh, to, to value you and your opinion of us more than others, that we might present the accurate gospel and not an adjustable one. And I do pray that many in Chase County and around the world would would, uh, would join you 
on your side of the, the dividing line. We love you, Lord. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.